Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast. CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, December the 16th. Um, signing day has come and gone, or I guess technically early signing day has come and gone, so obviously we will talk about Virginia's, at least at this point, top 25 recruiting class. Um, we have to discuss whether we want to or not um the season ending defeat in blacksburg 33 15 um i don't know who who did they play i'm not real sure um anyway we'll we'll talk about that loss attack and um and also um talk recruiting and and obviously um it is the final um i guess we're we're now into the postseason so we will we will finally wrap up our prop bets discussions and and all that fun stuff and kind of um use the the article that Ferber wrote the other day as sort of a springboard to um, to kind of discuss a little bit more. Um, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First, up in Fishersville, David Spence is back on the show. How's it going, my friend? It's going pretty well, Brad. Um, you know, it's been a weird week. Uh, I think we're about 96 or plus hours away out of losing to Tech, so I'm feeling a little bit better about that one. Um, but yeah. I would like to remind people if they'd like to say something nice about the podcast, they can tweet at me on uh, on Twitter at at Who Dave's, and Brad will make a ten dollar donation in your name. Brad um, will not make any donations <laughs> in anybody's name, for the record. Who Dave's on Twitter? Um, up in Arlington, staff writer Justin Ferber is also on the program. How's it going, my dude? Yeah, uh, I would say it's always interesting when you play a rival and lose, and they're more upset about what's going on than. Than the team that lost. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting thing. But, you know, I, I get it. Um, at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter and on the board as well. No underscore on the board. I don't know why I did the board tonight. That's yeah, weird. that's yeah. you'd never do that. Um, Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Hopefully the in-game updates will return soon. Virginia basketball returning to practice on Saturday, not Thursday, like I initially tweeted for some unknown reason. Thanks to Eric Bacher for texting me and saying, hey, man, your, your tweet was wrong. Um, but they'll return to the court on Saturday and then get ready for a Tuesday afternoon matinee with uh, the tribe of William Mary. Um, has there ever been a basketball game in Virginia basketball history that had three uh, dates in one season? Like three, I don't think that's, that can't have ever happened, right? Um, but anyway, Probably this, not. this has happened. Um, so Virginia will, will be coming off the pause, which is good news. Um, so we'll see what the schedule does from there. But um, we will uh, talk about that in our next podcast, whenever that may be. All right, let's get to last weekend. Cavaliers go to Blacksburg. Looked great for a series, right? Defense didn't look so great in Tech's first series. Virginia went, what was it, um, 14 plays, um, 75 yards, 5 minutes and 39 seconds. Uh, they take a 7-3 to lead, and then it was like the bottom just fell out of everything. They score 8 points the rest of the way. Um, Tech scored 30. And, uh, yeah, man, I, that, thing, that thing went sideways in a hurry in a way that I honestly, even after re-watching it and looking back on it, I find it – even more frustrating if I'm being completely honest, because that tech team, while, you know, they played, I think a better game than they had been playing at times, right. That was, 
that was still a very beatable tech team, and Virginia had way more than I felt like the Cavaliers put on the field. Um, I'm going to come back to Dave after I go to Ferber because I'm. You, you said Dave said he's had a couple days um, to think about it. I'm kind of hoping he's not had too much to be too fired. I, I kind of like him when he's fired up. Uh, Ferber, as you broke this thing down for the take two and in the days since, what's um, what's your general mood about this? Um, for me, it's just the frustration in the moment. It was I was more I was more just confused and almost bewildered when I was you know in Blacksburg and in the time since then it's just it's gotten more frustrating especially you know watching Tech you know kind of screw up the whole firing of their coach and everything. What are your thoughts in the last couple of days? How how does this loss sit with you? Yeah, I, it doesn't sit well, but not necessarily in the past. Um, the, the the feelings about this game were so results driven, right? I mean, it was the streak going, and you just want to find any way you can, ugly, pretty, whatever it is, to end the streak. And every year that it goes on, no matter how close the game was, I mean, you think about the game two years ago that went to overtime. You know that that is just a little tiny bit of solace, but the streak continued, so it was frustrating. And you know you're not going to get another chance. I remember talking with Brad about this last year before. Um, before the game kicked off in Charlottesville, and it's like you only get one chance a year to do this, right? You can look at it that way and, and say you only get one shot. Um, what you do will last for a year, and then you get to tra- you get to do it again. So, I think the frustration this time was much more around how they played and how the game went than it was about the result. Um, I mean, we wrote in the preview, we talked about it last week on the podcast. UVA was playing well, Tech was not going into the game but that didn't mean that tech couldn't win tech was favored in vegas tech was favored by the computers um so the result it doesn't come as a huge shock but i think what comes as a big surprise considering how they had played um up to that point is is just how lackluster uva was particularly on offense um i think the defense didn't play well either but we expected them to give up a good number of points and for the game to be a pretty high scoring game um so that, I mean, the, the surprising part with the defense is that all of those points came in the first half. Um, but I, the offense, I think, was, was a pretty big disappointment for me in this particular game. Um, and, and it's hard to point the finger at one specific thing, right? I mean, the big thing I would say, um, and I said it in our text thread when it happened, was the offense not taking advantage of the muff punt in the second quarter. Um, they didn't get any points out of that, and, and they ended up not scoring again for the rest of the half. Um that was a huge missed opportunity. The turnover is obviously huge, particularly Armstrong's first interception in the third quarter um, when they were down 15 and on the move. I think they were on the 50. Um, and other than that, they just really didn't get a lot going. I mean, they had a few big third downs that that just didn't go their way, and, and they just didn't – they never established a run. I think – and while we're saying all these things that they didn't do, I think that as, as hard as it is to say, I think that Tech's coaching staff deserves a lot of credit for finding a good, especially the defensive coaches, for corralling Armstrong and, and not letting him do what he's been doing. Um, I mean, he had 15 carries for 23 yards, and I think that was a huge difference. UVA never established any other sort of running game. Um, Talapapa and Simpson had four carries combined. Uh, Billy Kemp had a nice game, but other than that, the receivers were pretty MIA. I mean, Lavelle Davis had nice stats, but a lot of that came late. Um, they did a good job with him. So my frustration isn't necessarily that they lost the game. It's um, and, and, and that wound isn't nearly going to be as bad as it was during the streak. But um, it's honestly that it was over at halftime, and we just had to sit there in purgatory for the last 30 minutes of the game and knowing the result 
and just hoping they could find a way to make it competitive, and they just really couldn't find a way to do it. Dave, I uh, here's my frustration. All right, is I, I I'm not going to remember the, fur, the the quote that Ferber used in the um, in the take two, which I stole from my column, which apparently he stole from you. Um, but essentially, like Virginia did not put its best foot forward, for lack of a better phrase, right? Um, offensively, Cavaliers, you know, what was it? 267 yards through the air. They had uh, 55 on the ground. Um, it, it, they, it, it's one thing if the defense allows Tech to, you know, to go for 464, rush for 252, okay? But it's another thing for Virginia to go down there and score a whopping 15 points. I think that, to me... Like I expected more from this offense, and I don't think there have definitely been times in this in this streak and in the rivalry and the history of this podcast where we have talked about a Tech Virginia game and maybe been a little bit ridiculous in what we thought Virginia was going to be able to do. I don't think I was that ridiculous to think the Cavaliers were going to go out there and score some points. Um, the 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 play calling I saw, the sort of game plan that I saw, the idea that they wanted to kind of use almost Brennan as a you know quasi. Bryce Perkins. I understand things changed once uh, Keaton Thompson got hurt. I get that, but it it just did not look like um, the same team we've seen recently. Now I understand that Tech, you know, plays a little bit of a different system, and uh, obviously you know personnel is different, that kind of stuff. But like, I just did not see Virginia being aggressive. I did not. I did not see Virginia being creative. I saw. I saw a team that was tight in a variety of different ways, and dudes just kind of standing around waiting for somebody to make a play. In the days since then, what's your analysis of this thing, and how how frustrated are you um, that you know they didn't get the second one in a row? I mean, 100% frustrated. Um, like, I mean, I was mad at the, during the game, mad at the end of the game, because, I mean, it, it felt at times like Tech wanted the game a lot more than Virginia did. You know, it's you know, obviously we're, we're, I'm watching on TV, but... Um, that's the way it looked. It looked similar to many of the games during the streak. Um, I, mean, I think leading up to it, last week's podcast, I, you know, I believe I said I felt like if you could get on Tech early, they they didn't really believe in themselves. So if you got on them big early, you they might fold. Um, and Virginia did, you know, and had a chance. You know, they had the the miss sack on third down, up seven to three, which would have given them the ball back on with a really good field position and chance to go up a couple scores early. Then after giving up a touchdown to go down 10, seven, they had the muff punt where they had a chance to at least tie the game up. And I still think they maybe did. Um, but even bigger, they had a chance to, to take the lead and get tech doubting again. And both of those opportunities they missed out on. And then as soon as tech, you know, hit the long run and, um, you know, started to pull the game, pull away a little bit. Virginia looked like they started playing like old Virginia. You know, they started getting stupid fouls and playing, you know, getting out of lanes, getting more aggressive, doing stuff they shouldn't do that I'd hoped was out of this program by now. Um, and then, so, you know, defensively, I was disappointed in a few plays, but overall, you know, I think if the offense had been playing, <laughs> you know, playing better themselves, the defense wouldn't have had as much pressure on it. Um, you know, it's ne- it hasn't no point this year has this defense been one that's going to go out and get the ball back for you. You, you want to put them on the field with the lead so they can kind of give up the yards but not the points. And that wasn't the case Saturday. They needed to get the ball back, and that's just not how they're set up. So, 
it was frustrating given where we are in the program, given where Tech was coming into that game. But we all knew that Tech hadn't been healthy. Um, and, you know, we're all worried that is Virginia the catalyst to get them to all, you know, get them to focus and, and play a good game. And of course it was. That's what, it, that's what they did. Um, but in many, many ways, the game kind of paralleled what we saw last year. You know, Virginia got off to the big lead last year, but then Tech kind of got more you know, a little bit, they started kind of flipping run and pass and it confused Virginia's defense for a good, what, two quarters there. Um, and then Virginia's offense kind of went stale. And that's kind of what we saw Saturday, except just in a, you know, in, in a bigger disadvantage for Virginia because Tech was scoring and Virginia wasn't able to answer at all. But, you know, once once Tech got that offense rolling where you didn't know if it was run or pass, Virginia was kind of kind of out of sorts. And then, defensively you know I, I don't know if tech did anything special other than make tackles uh, you know and play sound they they weren't you know, they weren't blowing you know i thought virginia's offensive line did a pretty good job um especially considering how many times they knew it was going to be a pass um and weren't you know they got it to brennan but considering the number of pass attempts he had they didn't get to him as much as they you know probably could have or should have in a normal year so I don't know. The offense just seemed like it went in a shell once Brennan wasn't able to break a couple of runs. Um, once KT went out, it definitely got different. You know, and then, you know, it it's all frustrating. I mean, I guess the big take home that I've been able to kind of live with a few days out now is if that had been any other opponent and Virginia had that performance, I'd be like, you know what? It makes sense. It's been a long years on those guys. They just had, you know, they just did game prep the week before and traveled and didn't get to play. And they're just tired um but because it's tech i don't know if i can give them that excuse you know yeah i think that's fair I, I yeah think for hold on one second for for me the the idea of like that it's tech i we talked a lot right last week about the emotion of knowing this was going to be their last game and i think we all at this point can look at it and say hey everybody knew this was going to be their last game um i think that might be the piece beyond just the play calling and the you know lack of innovation stuff i think the lack of energy is the thing that really stands out to me i'm never gonna say because this fans do this all the time and and i and it's one of the things that kind of um bugs me a little bit is to say like oh guys they didn't want it or they didn't care and i don't think you can watch a game and tell what a kid does or doesn't want i don't think you can say that but what i think you can say is like in in terms of energy it was just not the same, right? Um, now, some of that has to do with the fact this thing went sideways in a hurry. I mean, Tech is, you know, 60-yard run, or excuse me, 76-yard run here, 60-yard pass there. It, it, it was, you know, like Ferber said, it was over fast. Um, what's crazy about it is that when Virginia goes down and scores that touchdown to cut it to 30-15 to 15, um, with, what was that, Um how much time was in, left in the game when um, it felt like scored. a lot? I mean, yeah. it was it was like halfway through the third quarter. I yeah, think, it was, there were maybe four like minutes six and, minutes left in the third quarter. Four fifty left when yeah. Poljan catches the pass from Armstrong. It's a seven play, fifty seven yard drive. So it's thirty to fifteen. Four minutes and fifty seconds to go in the third quarter. So you still had a you know a, that's an eternity, right? Um, and and ultimately, you know, they they really didn't do anything, you know, um, else. I uh, think next time they had the ball. They got a stop, and then it was like, okay, you know, they're down two scores with the ball. And then Armstrong threw the pick, the the one pick he has every game. It feels like where Brought he just you by throws Wendy's. it like, 
Yeah, where it's just like I don't understand what he was throwing to, and it was like the worst possible time for him to do that, you know. But um, I don't know if they would have been able to come back from thirty to fifteen down. But I, I think the biggest—I mean, if you want to circle, I, I yeah, the, I said it before—the biggest play is not scoring off the muff punt when you're down ten and seven, um, not getting any points, and they got the ball at like the twenty-four yard line, I think, or something. Um, and then the. Uh, lack of a tackle on Tavion Robinson um, right before halftime. Because even, like, you could look at the Herbert run and be like, wow, you know, like, that was huge. But if they go down 20-7 to at halftime, it's not a good half. But they were in that situation two years ago, and they came back. And they got the ball to start the second half. So it's like, okay, we're down two scores. When you go down 27-7, to it's like, okay, this game's over. It's just a matter of what the final score is going to be. Um and yeah, I mean, I've, I've said it for the last couple of years, but big plays are pretty important. And the game was pretty much even in the first half, except for those two big touchdowns that Tech had. So, I mean, I don't want to beleaguer the point. I mean, we all um, we all had to watch it, right? Um, I think that your your point earlier, Ferber, about the you know the the fan bases, and I mean, clearly, obviously, I don't want to make any, I don't want to make it seem otherwise. Virginia fans. <laughs> Not not pleased with with this result, and certainly not pleased with the way it went down. Like, I think they expected, um, you know, maybe 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 not necessarily always to win because Virginia fans are historically pessimistic, um, just as a way to sort of protect themselves, but to play better, right? And I, again, I go back to the offense, right? So you get the TD in the first drive, then they go punt, field goal attempt, miss, punt, punt, halftime. All right, second half, they go punt, touchdown, interception, punt, interception, turnover on downs. Um, that's just not good enough. And I, I don't think that that's revelatory. But the thing, I, you know, Bronco said something to the effect of that night that, you know, essentially that as soon as that game's over, you want to go back. You know what I mean? And you want to try to figure out what went wrong. Um, you want to go back and get another chance at it. Um, do we think... Um, Dave, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick this to you. Do you do we think that ver, that this staff has a good feel for the rivalry game aspect? You know, I thought last year they they did. I thought the way they handled it all season, and there was obviously a lot less of that this year because COVID was so front and center for everybody. But do you feel like going forward they have to continue to adjust when it comes to the the emotion, the energy? Um, the urgency that comes with this game and this rivalry. I mean, look, I don't know what they're doing, you know, other than what we, the little bit of, little bit of video we see and press conference information about, you know, about preparation. And we, we always see them breaking the huddle with, with beat tech. Um, we obviously knew it was a big point of emphasis last year. Um, but whether or not the thing <laughs> to me as a fan, whether or not things were good or not, it, when you're one and four against your number one rival, you got to change something. Um, and you know, and I don't think it's just a Bronco issue. Like we've seen this over multiple coaching staffs now. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know what the answer it is. If I did, I'd be emailing Bronco be like, Hey, you should be doing this. This will work. Um, cause it is a fine line when you get into robbery games. If, if you get overhyped and make it more than a game, then you do things like, you know, overrun, overrun your gap or stuff like that. Um, you know, the best teams, like if you, if you watch, you know, if you watch Alabama, Auburn or someone, 
you know, the team that wins is usually the team that plays more disciplined. It's not the other way around. Um, but yes, I mean, at some point it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, I saw a lot of fans upset, you know, you know, kind of pointing to the, to the record against tech, but you know, overall Broncos done a great job. Um, you can, I know there'll be people who argue whether he spent too much time focused on player safety, but to me, like he, he did it the right way. And if you listen to him today, I think, you know, even if you don't agree with it, I think you can say, okay, yeah, that, that's why, that's why that was such a focus for him. Um, so if that wasn't the case this year, would it have changed the outcome? I don't know. Um, but ultimately what it came down to, and I, I mean, I hated hearing him saying it, say it, um, just because it's a rivalry game, like you want it to be different than the other ones. Like, you know, if Boston College would beat us and we'd beat Virginia Tech, the record would be the same, but I'd feel a lot better. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he said it, I can't remember if it was his radio show or post game, but it had to be his radio show. It was basically, it came down to, and it made me so mad when he first said it, but he's right. You know, it's just like it was if it's any other game. It came down to three to five plays. It came down to the, you know, failing to score points after the muff punt. It felt, came down to, um, I'm not going to single out a player. It's pretty easy to see who kind of got was gap unsound in the long touchdown run. Um, cross with a you know, <laughs> sorry, sorry, cross. I'm going to bring your name up. That was a terrible yeah, tackle on the sideline. Um, yeah, tackle slash push. Because if you do like, you can say, yeah, well, you still lost by 18. But in essence, outside of those two long touchdowns, Virginia Tech's didn't like dominate the game you know they dominate ball control they didn't score a lot of points other than there's two busts so if those don't happen maybe it is a different game um but yeah i mean ultimately it's going to come down to you know your <laughs> your uh, legacy as a head coach and your fan support is going to come down as a virginia coach to beating virginia tech beating unc um for some reason bronco's done much better against unc than he has against virginia tech uh, and He's not the first coach to have that issue, but, and I don't know what the answer is, but yeah, something's got to be done. Um, to me personally, like the issue with that game Saturday was, you know, we only know what we see. We don't know what the play call is, but it, it was very, once KT got hurt, like the offense was so predictable. It, it was like the pre North Carolina. It was basically the offense. Justin wrote the scathing argument uh, article about, um, and it's kind of quick how it turned right back to that. Ferber, before we, I want to, I want to go back to you, um, and kind of that same stuff. But you know what it reminded me of? I used to play tennis in high school, and a lot of times my coach would tell me like, "Hey, just make the other person make the mistake, right?" And so essentially, you're just like hitting it straight back to them sometimes, rather than trying to actually hit winners. And it reminded me of like, so what did you think was going to happen, right? Like you just thought Brendan was going to like run into the line and they were just going to miss him. You know what I mean? Like, um. It was almost like their entire offensive philosophy for this game was try not to turn the ball over and hope that they don't tackle you. And I know that that's super simplistic, but that that's the that's the I mean that's the only conclusion I could draw because I could I can't like I was we've talked before about you know the series of sentences that don't make a paragraph. I don't even know what that what like I don't I, I guess I lo- I watched that game again and I thought I don't even know what they were trying to do other than you know oh, the quarterback run worked, so let's do that. But I know it's not that simple. I just don't know what they saw on film that made them think that what they did the other night 
was going to have any sort of continued consistent con- success. Um, and when it wasn't, ha- and when it wasn't working, why it didn't shift earlier. Anyway, I'll kick it over to you. And you can share some wisdoms. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's a lot of different things sort of in the pot. And I think, I, I mean, you can look at my Twitter mentions from Saturday night, and they don't show up that way after they lose to NC State, you know, or whoever. Um, so, on the one hand, I'll say like, it is a different game. It is the game that matters. It fires people up in a way that no other game can. And and this is proof. If you want proof that North Carolina and Virginia isn't a big rivalry, look at the difference between the mentions that I got last night and if they had lost to North Carolina because that nobody cares about that game um, in the same way. It's just not the same. And the the goodwill that Bronco would get by beating North Carolina is sort of wiped out by losing to this team. So, I, I mean, I think, and I, I tweeted this after the game, you can't um, just make results happen, but... And Bronco just, they have to sort of take it every year. It's a different tech team. It's not the same team. Um, they have to try to get better results. I mean, I don't really know how else to say it. Like, um, because, and I'm not saying from from my opinion, like, I, I think less of them because they lost this one game. But, like, and I know, and you, uh, you guys know, too. I mean, that 2018 game was a toss-up. It was a coin flip. It was not anything the coaches did to lose that game. Like, they lost because of a few things that happened that didn't go their way. That's how football is. Um, This game, I didn't... I think it's easy to look back and say, like, the energy was on Tech's side, but UVA had a lot of energy early in that game. I remember hearing the bench, and everybody was hooping and hollering, and it was loud, and and they were into the game. And then that goes away when you get behind. That's what happens. It, it would have happened the same way if Tech got behind. Their bench would have been quiet. Like, th- that's just the way it is. Um, so on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, they really need to do better here. And there's a history with Bronco in rivalry games that isn't good from his time at BYU. Um, you know, he that rivalry was lopsided. And those teams, I would say, were pretty much even for most of that time. Utah had some really good teams. But um, I think he's got to find a way to get better results. But at the same time, I'm like, what is what, – like if if you're on Twitter and you're like these guys don't care and that's why they lose like what do you you can't like I've played sports you don't just get to wish your way to win like that's not how it works like you don't get you don't sit and practice before ooh I'm gonna try harder than I've ever tried before like that's, that's not how it works and it's not like Broncos in the locker room before before games like hey guys it's just a regular game like you know just do what you normally do like don't try too hard just try as hard as you would against Boston College no. Everybody goes out and they try to execute. They make mistakes. I think if anything, they're a little too tight in this game. Um, if you want to get like play psychologists, I think they're trying too hard. I think you saw that with the offense. Like they look like an offense that was trying to be something that they were not. And I, th- I don't think it was necessarily all scheme. I think a lot of it was players just trying to be heroes and trying to do too much and tr- trying not to make mistakes um, rather than saying, oh, we're just going to act like this is a regular opponent. It doesn't mean as much. All you got to do is look at the players' Twitters and, and things throughout the year. Like you'll, They know what the rivalry is. They're not stupid. Like They understand it. They Like you said, they break the huddle on B-Tech. They break a rock that has Tech's logo on it. Like They understand the significance of the rivalry. It's not like they, they need a lesson in that, right? Like I, I think that that sort of thing is simplistic 
to a point where it doesn't do any good. Um, and I, I can promise you that Broncos take it in seriously. The problem is he's not getting the results, right? And and I think if you want to throw out those first two years where he, he was significantly behind what Tech was working with, that's fine. Um, if you look at what's happened since, he lost a toss-up, he won a toss-up, and he lost a game by 18. So, I mean, to a, to a Tech team that we know from history before his time is down. Like, this is they can be better than what they've been under Fuente. So, um, I think... They're going to have to figure out how to be better, and, and I think I don't know if that necessarily means this game specifically. They're just going to have to find a way to be more consistently good. Um, and and I think you know I looked at the schedule today for the regular season schedule that they would have played if they had played the season, and I had them at seven and five or eight and four, which would have been a good year. Um, but when you don't beat Tech, it's not as good of a year, and people remember that. So for his own sake, I hope he does better in this rivalry because you don't want to see what happens is. You know, he he wins a lot of games every year, seven wins, eight wins. They don't beat Tech, and people, like, are ready to get rid of him because of it because I don't know if that's fair, but, I mean, that's the standard that he's going to be held to. One more thing on the Tech game before we, we move forward. Um, I, I think that, you know, and, and rightly so, we've we focused a lot on the offense because the offense was the piece that was kind of chugging along. The offense was, was the piece that had seemed to have its stuff together the most. The offense was the piece that I had the most faith in, the most ex- expectations of. But I mean, I think we got to talk about what's going on with Virginia's defense. Um, this entire season, granted, injuries were a real factor, and I don't want to try to pretend that they weren't. Um, you know, from the start, right? So you you didn't have Falmuli from the start anyway, which was problematic. And then you lost through the course of the year. You lost Blunt. You lost Nelson. You lost um, Bernie. You lost uh, Snowden. Of course, then Briggs transfers. Um, you lost Amos. You lost. Um, you had. You know. You were. You were gonna play um, a game without um, Taylor and and Carter. It was a. It was a rough year in terms of personnel consistency. That part is. You know. Is clear. And I, and I do think that when we have this conversation, you have to talk about that across the board. I, I, you don't see a lot of defenses that have been that were super consistent this fall. And that makes sense because teams, most teams didn't have spring wall. Most of them didn't have their normal offseason um, conditioning and, and work, um, you know, weightlifting and such. They got back to campuses and obviously protocols required that they not be normal, right? They couldn't be as close. You know, as often that, you know, I think it's very clear to me that, that there were a lot of changes made and that 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 hurt the physicality of of football. But what I saw from Virginia's defense this year, frankly, I just never expected to see under Bronco Mendenhall. Um, it just seemed like the. The details slipped and how many times, you know, we heard about, you know, oh, that's just missed assignments. Oh, that's just missed assignments. I realize that I'm not a. You know, I'm I've not coached this my whole life or anything like that, but I'm while I'm watching these games thinking, what kind of technique is that, right? Whether it's DBs, whether you know what I'm saying, like it was just a lot of confusing elements that make me question sort of where things are. Now, my understanding is is that you know a couple years ago Bronco decided to to basically give up play calling duties on the defense so he could kind of oversee things. Um, and I have no doubt that that has been a positive in a variety of ways for the program. Um, and certainly, 
there were times earlier last year where we were all really impressed with what Virginia was doing defensively. And then it kind of, it kind of just stopped. And now why? I mean, listen, the Herbert kid's the truth. Don't get me wrong. That kid can play. And Tech has a couple of receivers that are pretty good. But they made Braxton Burmeister look like he should have been in consideration for all, all ACC. I mean, he, he looked fantastic in this game, and he should not have. And I think that's a, that's a problem. Dave, where, where, do you, where, where do you stand on this defense? Was this all just a bad mix of personnel and something they can grow from? Do you see some systemic issues? Where, what's your concern level when it comes to that side of the ball? I mean, I don't know what my level is. My, my concern is higher than it should be given the pedigree of our coach. Um, but, you know, I think this year, if you look at what happened, you know, coming into the year, your front seven was going to be your, you know, you should have been able to lean on that front seven to, you know, to stop the run and, and get pressure on the quarterback to help out the back end as they kind of got up to speed and improve from what we saw at the end of last year. Um, Certainly when we started seeing injuries in the front seven, opt-outs, transfers, like that changed what the front seven could do. But we never saw any improvement out, you know, out of the secondary. Um, you brought up that, you know, basically how, and I think I've told you, I can't remember if I've said it on the podcast, but I know I've told you guys in the thread. Like to me, like the thing I keep thinking back to is obviously when they got here, they had some talent in that secondary that they inherited. Um but they also had some guys that weren't that heralded. You know, they had Nick Grant and Bryce Hall and Brenton Nelson um, and Joey Blunt, who wasn't like a national recruit. He was a good player. Um, and when they first started playing, they were all really, really good. And I remember making a joke that, like, I think it was after Grant started playing um, and started playing pretty well, playing opposite of Bryce Hall. I was like, you know, I made a joke that I almost trust Nick Howell at defensive backs like I do Tony Bennett with point guards because we had just seen this progression like what nelson had become and everything else um and then all of a sudden <laughs> i mean it kind of correlates to where nick Hall, how took on more responsibility with the defense when bronco stopped back he's always been like the co-defensive coordinator with bronco um i think it was his opening press conference that bronco said like he's a defensive coordinator until he needs to be out of the room and then it's nick Howell. um I think he made that little joke where he's like stepping in <laughs> or whatever. But um, so to me, like the defensive back play has got to get better. Uh, the front seven, obviously losing Briggs was big. You're losing Snowden, um, who, you know, you, you could potentially lose some other players depending on who wants to come back, who's invited back for a fifth year, who wants to come back for it, you know, that extra year. Um, but yeah, the, until they figure out the defense, the secondary, um, whether it's through changing coaching styles, changing scheme, um, adding more talent, uh, something's got to be done there. Because until that's better, like the way the game's played today in college with the RPO, you cannot depend on your front seven to be able to blitz every play. You've got to be able to have defensive backs that can at least hold the guy to seven or eight yards. Um, so maybe you can make a negative play on the next one. But I like some of the pieces they have coming in, but to me, like that's where the emphasis is. I trust the front seven, even without Briggs next year and, and the other ones. I, I trust that'll be better. And if you look at, as we'll talk about, you know, you know, shortly here, they've got some really nice pieces coming in for that front seven. They've got some nice pieces in the pipeline. Um, but when you start looking at the secondary and you look how they performed all year, 
and you look who's on the roster currently, it really makes you wonder, like, why weren't those guys playing if we saw this out of the the guys who did play? Yeah, what I thought was interesting was when Gaines got in the game, he he was uh, he was at least connected, right? I mean, you know, they didn't really push um, Tech didn't. They didn't really go after him. But I mean, he was you know he, there weren't these gaps, right, um, where he could he could make a play on the ball if it was there. Um, I, I do think that you know you can't you you can't expect um, to to your point, Dave. You, you can't expect your your DBs to be sort of on that island as much. And I do think that Virginia tried at times this year to do things a little different. I, I think the Taylor experiment at safety, especially because he you know we know he he had like a knee injury in fall camp. Um, it just never seemed to make a lot of sense to me that, you know, they wanted to do these different things with him and Snowden and it just didn't work. And then they started doing some things in a little bit more traditional sense. And it's, and things started to be, you know, the havoc started to come back. Um, I also think that when you look at the way, not just coordinators call the defense, but in terms of, you know, the way pieces fit together, right. Nick Jackson is a, I think is a it has a lot of potential and he's gonna he's gonna be a great player at UVA. The pairing with with Zane Zandier, I don't know if it was as fruitful, right, as what we've seen in the past. And that's not a knock on either one of them. It's just that when you put the two of them together, you know what can they do, right? Tight ends hurt Virginia down the middle of the field a lot. Um, you know there was a lot of there was a lot there. Um, and so it's to me, it's not just the secondary though. The secondary is the is the biggest issue. Um, that's the piece that, you know, I, I think in the in the years past, that's the piece that we have been so confident in knowing what what Virginia had there, right? What was what was in the cupboard, you know, versus, you know, now it's like you know if a ball goes up that there's like a seventy some percent chance that whoever's the receiver is gonna come down with it. Um, you know, and, and I've heard, you know, Nick say so many times this year, you know, we just aren't making plays on the ball. And I never saw that's the other thing. Uh, Dave mentioned earlier in Broncos, Broncos tenure, you know, he, he would throw like new dudes out there and like all of a sudden, like they'd be pretty good. And then each week, you know, there would be something that he said, Hey, this week we got to clean up X and it would get cleaned up. I never saw Virginia develop when it came to making a play on the ball in the air, you know, like guys were still doing the, making the same mistakes in week 15 as they were, you know, when the season started in like week four or whatever that was. For what do you think? What's what's your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely concerning. I think uh, the big thing to remember is that this started last year. This did not start in 2020, right? I mean, starting with that North Carolina game last year when the injuries, you know, you lose Brandon Nelson, which they did again this year, things started to get bad. Um, Bryce Hall had already gone out. Bratton was out before the season started. And, and, you and we sort of looked over a lot of these things because we were like, well, look how many guys they've missed, you know, like, but by next year, these guys will be better. And and they got torched in the back half of the last season for a lot of those games. And, and then that transitioned into this year. And, you know, this year I'm looking at it now, like what was the big difference in, in the past defense? A lot of it was just who the quarterback was like when they played Chase Bryce, who isn't good or wasn't good this year. They did fine. You know, they got some turnovers. They, they did what they had to do. When they played guys with a pulse, they didn't do well. Like, they, Sam Howe torched them. Boston College's backup quarterback torched them. Um, Braxton Burmeister didn't torch them, but he looked good. 
Um, he did what he had to do to move the chains, which was huge. They dominated time of possession. The one game where they did pretty well was was Miami. Um, they somehow that game ended up nineteen fourteen, and and a lot of that was because they got a lot of pressure. And I think those two things, um, I think that the issues are sort of twofold. I think one is I don't want to say they don't have talent in the secondary, but it hasn't worked out with a lot of those guys the way that they probably hoped. I mean, you forget Bryce Hall played as a true freshman. Like, he was starting as a true freshman. They identified his abilities early, right? So that's not the norm. Like, he wasn't a guy that developed over time. Um, like, they don't – who is that guy now, right? I mean, you mentioned Gaines. Like, I hope that, you know, we see more of him next year, and I think we will. You know, he looks like a player. Donovan Johnson's playing special teams. Clary at safety has played. Um, but other than that, I mean, you got a lot of other guys that, that are just on the bench or they're playing special teams and they're not really contributing on defense. And some of the older guys didn't play very well. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Devontae Cross is not a corner. Like, he's a safety playing corner. And they decided to play him at corner. That was the coaching staff's choice. So, I mean, you can get into technique, but, but some of that is just trusting veteran players. And I, and I respect that decision. But you know, it didn't really work out. And I think the other thing is this defense in the past has been so reliant on pressure to get off the field. And when that doesn't show up, it, it's a problem. Um, and last year, I mean, I'm not saying they didn't have any games last year where they didn't have any sacks, but this year it seemed like it was more hit and miss than last year. Um, and you think about how much that helps a secondary you know, if a quarterback's under pressure and a, and, a, and a corner gets beat, it's going to be harder for that quarterback to make the throw to the open guy, you know, when he's throwing with a guy in his face with one foot off the ground. When he's able to stand, plant, and throw, that's when you're going to get beat. Um, and I think teams saw what happened to UVA secondary in the back half of last year and were like, we can go after these guys. Um, we just need time to throw. You look at this, this season, Duke game. They won. They played really well on defense for most of the game. They had five sacks. Good. Miami game, five sacks, good. North Carolina, they got torched, but they had five sacks, you know, so that was enough. How many did they have against NC State when they played bad? They had zero. How many did they have on Saturday at Virginia Tech? They had zero. You know how many they had against Virginia Tech last year? Six. Like, that stuff matters. So, like, when you're not getting pressure, things start to fall apart for this defense when guys are losing these one-on-one matchups that, quite frankly, they just lose a lot. Um and, and, you know, there's a lot of good receivers in the ACC, so I understand. But um, they might need to find a way to get less exposure for their DBs if they're going to get beat a lot. Or they're going to have to figure out new ways to get pressure because it seems like some of these offenses with a lot of film the last few years are starting to kind of figure out a lot of these exotic blitzes because I haven't seen nearly as many free rush blitzers as we saw in past years where you think about Charles Snowden running a guy down unblocked. Or Zane Zandier coming up the middle unblocked. Like I did, I I know that happened this year, but it didn't feel like it happened at the same rate. All right. Well, let's. Um, and they still had thirty-two sacks this year, so I mean, it's not like they never got to the quarterback. Yeah, that's true. Um, let's 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 leave this in the past. Um, I, I think there's plenty of stuff we're going to talk about in the off season, and especially as we start talking about the roster and all that fun stuff um, going forward. Um, the off season will, ha- will allow us to have plenty of time to discuss, <laughs> to discuss our, uh, our fixes for literally everything um, in the program. Right. Um, so today was obviously early national signing day. I don't, I'm still, I'm still not sure like what exactly we're supposed to call that. I just call it early NSD, but whatever. Um, Virginia inked 24 um, 
letters of intent. Um, it's funny how they call them NLIs now. I used to always call them LOIs. But anyway, um, that includes not just the 23 committed players, but also uh, Lorenz Terry, the um, former 2020 player um, recruit who is um, who's coming in, in, in 2021 um, after a post-grad year. Um, I always ask Bronco. <laughs> I even said that today. I was like, hey, I ask you this question every year. Um, every coach loves their class on signing day, right? Every coach, you know, like, Hey, we, you know, we got some really great dudes and that's, I'm not saying that that's not true. It's just, it, you, you watch any number of college football press conferences on signing day. They all say similar stuff, right? I'm always curious, like what needs did you have that you didn't hit? Like, what do you feel like was a miss for you? But this year, because I mean, listen, this was the best class Broncos had at UVA. Um, you know, rivals, we got him at 25th. Um, you know, that's including a couple guys being a little lower than they should have been. Like the Simpkins kid has no business being a two star in my opinion. Um, you know, I can understand, you know, why like, um, Logan Taylor wasn't a four Rodriguez wasn't a four. I get that stuff. I, I, I don't get Simpkins being a two. Um, Bronco said he really loved Malachi Fields. who We've talked about here because, you know, we all know him, um, and have, you know, <laughs> literally watched him grow up over the years. Um, but this class is different in a variety of ways. The most notable, and, and when I asked the question today, I thought it was it was his po- most telling answer. He pointed to the offensive line. And he said, it's hard to get that much quality when you get that much quantity at one position, right? So when you get four dudes at a position that you, you know, you see them all sort of on the same level, it's hard to do that. And I thought that was an interesting sort of um, microcosm of what recruiting really is because ultimately – you might get a really good player, but it's hard to get several really good players, and especially at one spot. Um, and I thought Virginia did that on the offensive line and at defensive back, which is what Bronco said. Uh, Ferber, what's what's your general sense of this class? How do you how do you feel like Virginia did? I think it's a really good group. I think the one thing that stood out to me today when I was looking it over is that I don't see a lot of guys that are really like high risk. Um, it's just a very solid group, and that's the same thing we said. A couple years ago um there's not a lot of like oh i can't believe they took that guy or um that guy is seems like the kind of guy that if he doesn't play right away is going to transfer or you know and, and and part of the good thing you know they, they got more in-state players this year um and and it felt like they did a, a better job there saw some wins or some gains from the success they had last year um, on the field. So I think that's good. Yeah. That's that, that my overall impression is that it's just a group of solid players who are going to come in and, and fit in. It might not have a ton of stars in the class, but I see a lot of guys that are going to be able to contribute in their first two years. If, if given the opportunity and guys that I, I say this every year, but they fit the scheme. Like the guys you look at, you watch their film, you know, you Jacob Rodriguez, we were talking about him earlier. You know, you look at what he does and you're like, Oh, that's what UVA does a quarterback. Like, Perfect. That makes perfect sense. Um, and then other guys, the same thing. So um, I, I think it's just a very solid group. Not a lot of misses, a lot of um, and then a few really talented guys at the top of the ratings. Um, you know, getting Bryce Carter to, to reclassify is a huge win for the program, um, especially at a position of need. And and getting a guy like Josh McCarron from a place in the you know United States, that you, they rarely recruit in Washington. Um and, and the, you know, that was a huge win. And Logan Taylor. And 
you know, we're starting to see them start to stockpile some like really talented offensive linemen, which is something that, you know, they've had some okay offensive lines, but you know, I've always felt like they needed a little bit more talent there to kind of push to the next level. And this year they had the best group they've had under Bronco. And I think what they have in the pipeline, you know, adding a guy like Logan Taylor, the guys from Georgia, I think that, you know, Josie, I think that they're going to have a really solid group there in the, in the coming years. And that's going to be huge for them. Um, and it's a solid group, and it's good to see they have so many guys coming in to enroll early, which is something that UVA hasn't always had a lot of. Um, but it's a good – I think it's a good foundational class for what, you know, sort of the next generation of, of Cavaliers. Um, I think that this group is definitely going to be a – I think we'll look back on it and say that it was a really good group in a few years. What about you, Dave? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, a lot of what Ferber says, probably where I would have st- stood with it, like any time you can add that many offensive linemen to to a class it was one of our pet peeves with the london era um you know we get these good classes and it'd be like seven defensive backs and three wide receivers who probably meant to be defensive back but yeah i mean i think brocco and Nelder, when you watch the film on these guys obviously we haven't seen them play in person but um the offensive linemen look talented they look they all seem to have a little mean streak josie certainly does Noah uh, logan taylor looks good um like you said stacking that depth with what they've got in the last couple years is helpful especially when you look at how you know, I think you know most of the most of the guys that have played a lot will be juniors and senior will be seniors this coming season, um, and then and you've got um, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the guy going on his mission. Why am I losing Gentry? Andrew Gentry. You've got Andrew Gentry, Gentry coming. You know, t- in 2022 to add to that, and then you know Virginia gets lucky and can pull Zach Rice to go with him, and you know the young guys they have that offensive line looks pretty good. Um, defensive line they they added some pieces i think adding bryce carter late to this class turned out to be even a bigger deal than one would have expected prior to the you know briggs news um and then you know a lot there's so many dudes who kind of fall into i mean just the number of guys who kind of fit that outside linebacker mold that we're used to with the staff um you know green looks really good you've got yeah, I think I think Bronco said today Sanker is like a big safety that might play inside linebacker. Um, hopefully he can grow into like that Jordan Mack role, which I think Virginia really missed this year, having an inside linebacker then get sideline to sideline. Um, so, yeah, a lot of good pieces. And, you know, a bunch of Virginia kids, some kids from that kind of the, a similar area in Georgia, like he was talking about in the press conference today, and then a couple Tennessee boys. Um, obviously, McCarron is, as Justin said, out in Washington. But if you look at where they're getting these players from, um, it's from areas you should be able to have repeated success with. Um, and you know, if you can't, I mean, at some point, if you look at if you look at recruiting nationally, you know, outside of the state of Texas, most schools aren't signing a lot of guys from their home state. Um, so that's just the way it is now with every game on TV and the ease of travel. You know when life doesn't have a pandemic. Um, yeah, I think that's normal. So, so being able to kind of have core areas that have schools with players that produce, you know, you know, players that fit into your culture, I think is big. And, um, I mean, I think he's identified, you know, the, the staff did a really good job identifying those guys. I like a lot of, I like a lot of dudes in this class period. I think for me, well, I, I, I want to say a real quick thing, and then I want to get into our normal sort of pick your guy. Um, 
Uh, I think the thing too about this group is, you know, every every college coach is all about filling needs and what's you know what's the biggest need and need and and I ask about needs, so I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying like that's a big focus. And Bronco talked about you know um, succession planning and how important that is. He talked about Rodriguez and you know now you have you what you every year at quarterback you want three guys who are ready and one guy who's developing. Um, when you look across this class, there are a lot of dudes that you could really easily point to and say, Oh, this guy's going to be really, really good to Ferber's point one, because he fits or two, because of the talent level, um, Broncos whole methodology here, I think is really sound. The idea that every class should be a little bit better than the one you got before. And not, it's not necessarily just saying in terms of rankings, but in terms of like the, the, the talent level that you add at each position. And I think this class unequivocally does that. Um, What's fascinating to me, and, and Bronco talked a lot about like sort of the virtual recruiting side of this, is the the benefit that they seem to think they got from all recruiting going virtual, and how much more time you know they were able to spend, and um, you know the that even without the sort of face to face normal communication that you would get with visits and things, and and I don't and I don't want to make it sound like I don't think that there are kids out there who whose recruitments were directly and negatively impacted by the fact that they couldn't take visits. I don't mean that. But I think for Virginia, what Virginia was doing and the kind of kids Virginia was recruiting, you know, to to be able to have that sort of unlimited amount of um, screen time, no pun intended, with these guys, it, it made up for all the lack of face time. Um, and I, and I, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch, especially as, you know, hopefully the world comes back to normal. All right, I want uh, – let's, let's work through this. Um, Anyway, we don't have to give really long explanations, but just so, sort of a, a quick synopsis. Um, let's say, uh, who, who's, your, who's your favorite recruit? Who's favorite signee of this group? I know, I know where Ferber's going to go, so I'm going to start with him. Um, Ferber, who's your, who's your guy from this, from this class, so to speak? It's hard, it's hard not to go with Jacob Rodriguez, a.k.a. J-Rod. Um, but I'm going to go with Mike Green, Michael Green um, from Williamsburg. I just think he's perfect for what UVA wants to do on defense at linebacker. Seems like a smart player, a lot of football experience, um, plays with an edge, you know, he's got good measurables. I, I just think that he's a kind of guy. And, and also, you know, like not that once they're on the field, it doesn't really matter where they're from, but a nice cornerstone Virginia piece for this, for this class. I think um, he's going to be a guy that I don't know if he knows, necessarily plays a lot as a freshman because now they, they're accumulating some depth at most positions where guys are having to sit longer than they did when Bronco first got here. But um, I think that he's a guy that we're going to see a lot from um, in the next few years at, at outside linebacker for sure. So that's my guy in this class. What about you, Dave? Who's your dude? I mean, that's an excellent choice. There's a few guys. I mean, um, I kind of wanted to get a little deeper than just picking like, a you know, Bryce Carter or, Josie, who are very much my favorite, but they'd be a favorite for a lot of classes. I'm going to go with Jack Whitmer. Um, just having seen what, you know, Paul John didn't have kind of the production I was hoping he'd have to help me win the prop better too this year. Um, but seeing what he's, what the, what a big tight end is able to do in a modern day offense, especially one who can receive and block. And I think Whitmer's got a great frame. He's a, if you watch his film, like he he catches everything with his hands, which you don't see a lot of a guy who's six seven with that kind of size. Um, and you know, with Rawlings and um, Mish, and I believe Mish is back next year. Um, 
you know, Rawlings hopefully recovering from, from his injury coming into next year. You know, Whitmer could see the field pretty early next year, depending on what they do, grad transfer route. Um, I don't know if he has the size to block like Poljan did this year, which I think was probably something we didn't get enough credit for. But um, I like Whitmer a lot, and I think he's going to be fun to watch as he, he kind of gets into the strength and conditioning program. All right. Um, it's a tough call for me. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> because there's, there's several different contenders. I, I think the Taylor kid is, is, is perfect. And, um, I, I think Bronco's point about the offensive line, um, is, is really spot on. You know, you're the offensive line is the, um, is the toughest position by far, I think for college coaches. I mean, you might, you can get into like, Oh, this guy's an inside back or outside back. You can get into all that stuff, but like the offensive line, like you really have to know what you're looking for. Um, and I think it's fair to say to Broncos point today about, you know, that, that, um, that these guys who are coming in are, are further along in terms of their development than the current players who are playing pretty well, right? The offensive line was a strength this year for the first time in a long time. Um, that they're further along than those guys were at similar stages. Um, it's, it's crazy to me to think that it wasn't that long ago that that offensive line wasn't not only was it not a strength it was a huge weakness right that they were they were in a place where they couldn't do different things because they just didn't have enough dudes um it's it's also crazy to me to think um that when you look at the success that they've had recruiting it has not necessarily been on the offensive line They've they've done pretty well at a variety of positions, and certainly getting Gentry last year is a big deal. Um, but you know, but because of the two year mission, you know, Virginia has not felt other than the recruiting ranking piece, right? They haven't felt the 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 impact of that yet. Um, I think for me, Rodriguez is a is a heck of a fit. Bronco said he's something between Brendan Armstrong and Taysom Hill, which I was like, uh, that's. I mean, what is that? What does that even like? What does that even feel like for somebody to, to sort of carry? You know what I mean to to carry that. But this is this is the recruiting class. Like I said, is twenty fifth. Um, let me just read you where Virginia has been. Last year they were fifty ninth. The year before that they were thirty ninth. The year before that they were sixty ninth, fifty eight, sixty one. Now they're twenty fifth. And I don't think you get there without a significant level of talent. Um, but for me, I think it's Bryce Carter is probably my guy. Um, he's listed at six three two fifty um, from Chesterfield. A uh, kid who was in twenty one, reclassed to twenty two, decided to to come on and 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 sign early and go and go now. Um, I, I think that when you watch his film, when you see his his measurables, he's the kind of kid who can really fit in this scheme because he can do a variety of different things and um, you know really a really athletic, agile kid who who has a frame to put on um, you know some good weight and and I think um, kind of be a um, a force at the next level. But the fact that there are so many dudes in this class, um, you know, the Faustin kid is, is, is ridiculous. Um, I really like James Jackson. There's a lot of them. So in this class, give me, um, give me Carter on the defensive front. Um, who's your, I big- actually like both corners too. Yeah. Let's, um, yeah. Let's talk about you know, that. Like Simpkins, Simpkins and Gaffney or, and then obviously Burke, I think will be a corner too, but, um, yeah, those two guys, I think, you know, we talked about corner being kind of a weakness, but I think those guys can can definitely help out in the, in the years to come. Well, that's that's a good segue because I was going to say who's the most underrated guy. And, um, Ferber, do you want to go with Simpkins, I'm guessing? 
Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, you know, he's a guy that um, I, I just don't I, I don't get why he's ranked where he is. Um, yeah, I, don't, I don't get when, it either. When I, yeah, when I saw him, I was like, "This guy's pretty good." I mean, compared to other corners they've signed in other years, um, I think he's he's one of the better ones. Uh, good size, plays in a competitive district in Maryland. I know there's a lot of good schools there. Um, look good on film. I, I think he's going to be a player. Um, and I think his rating, you know, it, it is what it is. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. But I think he's a guy that can come in and play right away, um, in some form or fashion, or, or is going to make an impact at, at some point in the near future. What about you, Dave? Who's your who's your sleeper? We know who it is. <laughs> it's Malachi. Man. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be. I mean, it was good to be before Bronco gushed over him today, and I was like, great. Now I'm going to look like I'm a bandwagoner. But no, good kid. We know the guy. Like, yeah, we we know him. We've we've seen him since he was a little kid. We've thrown him some passes. Um, he's thrown us some better passes, and yeah, like you know, he he's a big dude. Like. I mean, we can all attest to how big he's gotten over the last two or three years. And, you know, he's got the frame to carry more weight and more muscle. Um, and he was asked to do a lot of Monticello. So I think when you – knowing him like we do, like, you know, it's not like we spend every day with him, but um, knowing him and knowing, knowing the people around him, like I think he's a kid who's going to come in and work hard and, um, you know, get a chance to play <laughs> in his backyard. He's going to – I think he's going to – there's going to be one game at least uh, soon where we all just go crazy watching him run. Yeah, he was going to be my guy. Um, for my or excuse me, my, sorry, my pick here for sleeper. And besides, besides him and um, Simpkins, um, we can, he's just a podcast guy, so no one can claim him. <laughs> the guy, yeah, tailgate um, guy. Listen, so. I, I think that Virginia's defensive backhaul is is. I mean, a lot of attention will be paid to the um, to the defensive. You know the 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 excuse me the offensive line and then also to like when you think about um the different guys they have at, at linebacker right so west weeks um lex long um but there's something about aiden ryan that really feels uva to me um i forgot about him <laughs> there's another good corner that um, i like a lot you know he's a he's a kid you know he's a three-star kid so i mean this is a little bit I mean, I went to call him an underrated guy, but I feel like he's going to be a dude that we look back and say, why wasn't he more highly re- recruited or regarded? Um, they list him at six foot 185. Um, you know, he played multiple positions at James Monroe. I, I, I don't know, man. There's just something about him. Now, slotting is going to be really interesting for these DBs, right? Um, regardless of what they, you know, what they think they're going to, where they think they're going to put these kids. Um, I, it, it it always seems like, you know, there's a guy who who go, you know, a guy who moves and and that kind of thing. Um, so anyway, yeah, give me give me Aiden. Um, let's see any any thoughts. Um, I wanted to. I do, do like one one other one other quick thought. I do like. Um, I don't think like I said. I don't think there's a lot of bust in this class, but I think they did take a couple of guys that. Um, or a few guys that are potential guys, and I really think that they they pick good ones because they have the skills and and they look like diamonds in the rough rather than guys that aren't polished. Michael Jada, um, I think it is has the makings of a player. Um, Jay Wolfolk, if he plays football, like I don't know, I mean maybe you can use him somewhere other than quarterback too. You know if Rodriguez pans out, I don't know. 
Um, those two guys specifically, I think, have the makings of, of potential players down the road. Um, I really just I really like what they did with the defensive line in this class. Carter, um, Jada, and then Laughlin, who, I mean, I know a lot of people had him as an offensive lineman, but his defensive line highlights look pretty good. So I think they have a pretty good group there for Clint Sintom in his first year as UVA's defensive line coach. We could probably go um, fairly um, deep. We on... pretty much went through the whole class. Yeah, we, we did. We could probably answer <laughs> a couple we questions. Like, we could answer like four and more Lewis questions. Terry, I mean, I think, yeah, and Terry's kind of developed into a guy who's probably yeah. a defensive line. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's got, his, frame's his highlights look good, and then he's gotten a lot bigger apparently. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I thought he was going to be like an edge guy. Um because he I mean, was so he, I skinny. think he still could. I mean, based on <laughs> yeah. what he looked like right now, it's just a matter of what he, how much they want to bulk him up. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, Fork Union usually, those guys usually work out pretty well. So, yeah. So. Very true. Um, before we move over to prop bets, let's let me let me let's get out of here on this. Let's do like let's do four for the price of one. Um, what's the biggest need you think left? What's the thing you want to see UVA add? And even if it's a you know a transfer or a grad transfer or whatever. What's what recruiting? What have you? What what's your what do you think is left? You know, Bronco talked about keeping some spots open. Um, what do you think is left, either for the transfer market or for traditional signing day? Um, I'll go first. Specifically for transfers, I think a, a defensive back. Um, I think you've got some corners in the pipeline, but I think it would be nice to have a guy that's played a lot, has some bona fides. You look at what D'Angelo Amos did this year. You know, he wasn't necessarily like a a superstar, but if they didn't have him, I mean, they would have had to go further down the depth chart than they did at safety after the injuries that they had. So I think a DB would be great. Um, I also think a wide receiver. Um, they, You know, I really like the Lavelle Davis, Billy Kemp, Dontavian Wicks potential trio, um, but I would like to see them add another inside guy potentially. Um, if you get Henry to come back, maybe you don't need it. Uh, but I think those guys would be great. And then a tight end. Um, Dave mentioned that, you know, you have Mish, you have Rawlings, you have Whitmer coming in. Um, I, I still think it would, if you can find a Tony Poljohn type guy out there, then I think you should try to get him. Um, but those are the, those are the big ones for me. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I mean, it's same defensive back. Um, and I mean, I think you need to go out and feed. not just any defensive back. I, I think you need to find the guy who's played, least some upper level G five or, you know, power five and, and produced. Otherwise to me, it's better off. If you're going to get the play you got this year, give it to me with freshmen. So they're getting better. Maybe no, don't let me watch two seniors get torched. Um, so yeah, I mean a good cornerback specifically, like I think Virginia can make it work at safety with what they've got. Um, but I think they need a proven corner. Um, and you know, honestly, that's probably the only need to me, you know, they've got the Harvard, running back coming in who I guess we should technically throw in as part of this class. I don't know. Um, so, you know, losing Simpson. Yeah. I mean, tight end maybe, but yeah, I mean, this is probably the year that I, there's the least, you know, assuming everyone we think is coming back comes back. Um, and, you know, yeah, to me it's DB or bust. I mean, maybe you could look at adding a punter. I don't Who's behind Nash. Um, do we have? I think, I think we, they we might have a, a couple right? of long kids somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, special teams. If you can find someone who's proven out there, like I think that's always a safe bet. And those guys, yeah, those guys tend to be plentiful. There's plenty of transfers out there, but yeah, to, to me, it's it's a proven DB or two. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I really can't. Tight end, maybe. Well, also, yeah. another thing I just thought of is kick returner. Um, yeah. I mean, you lose some guys that could produce there. They didn't really do much this year, but Simpson had that one good return, but he's gone. You know, Amos, who, who was a great returner at JMU, we never saw him return anything for UVA. Um, of your receivers, I mean, Kelly, I guess, was the guy, but, I mean, like, to be honest, he hasn't really been super dependable health-wise throughout his career, and has just been up and down on the field. So um, maybe one of these younger guys takes that responsibility, but I don't see a lot of guys on the team right now that I would line up for that spot necessarily. Um, yeah, speed guy. We, we just need a speed guy. That's kind of what I was saying guy. at wide yeah. receiver too, yeah. Just a guy that can go out and run. Like, you know, somebody, that a smaller guy maybe that can get out and – and just catch up all over the middle here and there and, and help, help out guys like Billy Kemp and, and, you know, make it, make it so he's not the only guy in the slot all the time. Um, I think that would be huge. If you we can do find not need him. another quarterback. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's one thing I will say, like, you know, it's awesome to not have to go into the, the I mean, like it's great that they got Keaton and I'm, I'm, you know, he should be back next year. So um, that's huge. And then even behind him, I mean, Ira showed some good things this year played well. Um, I'm assuming Lindell Stone will be back for his eighth year. Um, <laughs> and then you have now. Rodriguez and Wolfolk. So, I mean, you have a lot of depth there. I think for me, my, my one big need is, is you got to find, I think you need to find one more impact guy, um, who can either, either provide a substantial level of depth. And what I mean by that is a guy who could be ready to play or a guy who is ready to play. Um, maybe he's a transfer or whatever. Um, be that the grad transfer or not. Um, but on, on, I think you need one on both lines. Um, I, you know, I fully expect Mandy Alonzo to come back. I'm not sure about Adib. Um, you know, I think Bernie, you know, I think his career is probably over. Um, Aaron Falmui, you know, Aaron Falmui, you know, conceivably would be back. So I, I, I wonder, you know, from a depth standpoint, you probably are looking and thinking, man, but every single time, that defensive front needs help at the end of the year. I think you need to find a guy, especially because, you know, you you just live through, you know, when you don't have that that depth, when you think you're going to have it. Now, I mean, that's not to say that, you know, a Gunlier or Smiley or Carter, especially, I mean, Carter was a lot further along than, than we expected, but he's a good example of a kid who, you know, if you can find him. Um, but then on the offensive line, you are losing a lot, and so – Depending on you know where decisions go, maybe you need one there. All right, Ferber, prop bet time. I'm gonna hand you the controls um, and uh, let you fly us home here. You you wrote a great piece the other day, kind of explaining like here's some some examples of the props from the from the preseason that that sort of cast a light on sort of some some realities of how the thing went versus our you know because you can compare our expectations with reality. Um, I believe congratulations are in order for you. I think it's you know messed up that that you're that you win this, even though you're the person who keeps, you know, you're the bank and you're telling me you have all the money. I made um, the lines. The you house did. always wins. House always wins. Anyway, take us through um, the conclusion of the of the prop bet saga for the season. Yeah. So just to start off with the obvious, Darius Bratton, Nick Grant, and Josh Rawlings did not score touchdowns. Um, so your list came up short, <laughs> as did mine and Dave's for the first time ever. Yeah, none of us hit it because Dave was short Grant Mish and I was short Tavares Kelly. So 
None of us got that one. Yeah, so, I mean, if, if anybody was scoring at home, I won with 18 correct. Dave and Brad had 15 each. It was really close. I mean, it could have gone any way in the last week of the season. There were a few that were really, really close. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the big ones that kind of stand out to me, Keaton Thompson and Tony Poljohn leading the team in touchdowns. Um, Poljohn, not really a huge surprise. Um but, I mean, Thompson, I, I, I think that, you know, like we didn't really see that coming uh, before the season, I don't think. So kudos to him. The team's points per game was right where we had it, 30.7. We had the line at 30.5. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that they pretty much ended up being what we thought, even though it didn't really – they didn't get there the way that we necessarily thought they would. Um, there were a few, I mean, that kind of just tell the story. Like Noah Taylor, you know, we guessed between seven and nine sacks for him. He had three. Um, shout out to Brad for being two yards off of Armstrong's rushing total. Um, you had him at 550, and he ended up at 552. Um, yeah, I'm just looking through the rest of these. Um, Lavelle Davis had the longest play of the year, 90-yard touchdown catch against Abilene Christian. I still can't um, believe that that actually happened. Like, of the of yeah. the plays of the year funny. that like other than maybe Deshaun Perry's uh, pick six, um, and well wait a minute and the double pass against Abilene Christian, you know all three of them yeah, yeah. um that that uh, that Lavelle Davis catch man wow yeah so they were we hit the under for defensive touchdowns two the over under was two and a half and there were no kick returns scored this year for UVA I think for the first time in like four years um no kick returns so. Uh, Brennan Armstrong finished with 2,117 passing yards. Dave was off by 23 yards. So good job, Dave. Um, I was off by many, many, many more than than 23 yards. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you just kind of look through these, and, and the big things that stand out are, like, it, Terrell Jana went, like, 35, 40 catches under what we thought he would have um, based on what he did last year. They never kicked a field goal or never made a field goal over 42 yards. Um the turnover margin was minus one. Chris Glazer led the team in snaps. Didn't really have that one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of interesting things here. Um, yeah, Billy Kemp, 67 catches. We had a prop where it was Kemp catches versus Armstrong total touchdowns, and obviously Kemp crushed him in that area. Um, Although I would like to – The people to break – I was going to say, I, I was going to say, I, I would like to have covered UVA when or an Armstrong had more than um... – 67 touchdowns i'd been pretty yeah crazy. i mean i think when i wrote the line i was thinking oh if he has like 35 catch or 30 touchdowns or so and, and armstrong has like 20 passing and 10 rushing or something crazy you know who knows um every player to break the rock can you guys name everybody that broke the rock this year all right kelly pew yep um charles snowden i have it in order okay i don't have, i can't do it i can't i can't do it in order okay charles snowden yeah um, you have Tavares Kelly broke a rock, right? No, he did. That was, no, last, that was year. last year. Okay. Um, did Lavelle Davis ever break a rock? No. Nope. Wow. Feel free to help him out, Dave. Deshaun Perry broke a rock. <laughs> um, very Deshaun young. Perry did break a rock. Nobody had that one. Polshaw broke a rock? Nope. Hmm. So you're missing two more. Tyler Papa? Nope. Nope. <laughs> All right, hold on. Don't tell me yet. Don't tell me yet. Don't tell me yet. Uh... Well, Br- did Brennan ever break a rock? He did. Okay. North Carolina. Um, you're just missing one more. I'm trying to think who made a play. 
I can give you the game and you'll be able to figure it out because it was the biggest play in that game. Sure, okay. go for it. Louisville. <laughs> that didn't help me. <laughs> when that three years ago. Noah Taylor? Uh, yep. 86-yard pick six. <laughs> yep, Kelly Pugh, Brendan Armstrong, Noah Taylor, Deshaun Perry, and Charles Snowden. And, and if you look at the list that we had, you know, <laughs> Like, you know, guys, there were a lot of names that made sense, but then you're like, oh, that guy never, like, at my list, for example, I had Armstrong, Talent, Pop Up, Ryan Nelson, or, or no, that was Dave's list. Um, Jana, Snowden, Taylor, Amos. I had Armstrong, Henry, Kemp, Blunt, Taylor, and Zandier. So I only got two right. Um, it's pretty crazy. There's always like one or two guys that break it, break it that you're not expecting. Deshaun Perry, definitely a huge shock. And obviously, none of us had Kelly Pugh. Um, in the future, so. if anyone names someone who's not a player or the head coach and that person breaks it, they should win that category unequivocally. <laughs> <laughs> we thought about this. I remember when we did the preview. You were like, I want to you wanted to do a coach and you didn't end up doing it, but you were talking about it. I um, wanted to do Kelly Pugh. Because Nick Howell <laughs> broke a rock a couple of years ago. So. Yeah. Um, all right. So last thing I wanted to bring up, unless you guys had any questions. No, you're good. Um, Go ahead. Our guys for the year, right? So I'll start with mine. Billy Kemp finished the year with 67 catches, a team high, and a touchdown. Just one. Um, Pretty good year, I'd say. Better than I thought he would have. Um, And pretty promising going into next year. Dave had Tony Poljohn, also a good choice. He finished. uh, We had an over-under prop bet for his receptions. He finished um, over it pretty easily. And he had a team high six touchdowns. So good for him. Big reds on target. Got a senior bowl invite. But I think this one goes to Brad. Um, we did we didn't count this towards the total. It was going to be a tiebreaker, but Lavelle Davis, what a pick! Um, I mean, the dude's probably going to be a freshman All American. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if you want to. I don't know if you're like taking the victory lap or like how this is working. But I mean, that was that was a hell of a pick. What, what do you have, he like, end up averaging for a catch? I'm, I'm, I'm pulling it up now. Um, no, so he his tech. final his final stats for the season 20 receptions in eight games 20 receptions 515 yards five touchdowns <laughs> 25.75 yards per catch that's insane yeah that no, dude was that's always not, but, level. but you know what's hilarious it's not the it's not even the best on the team oh wait Rayshon oh, yeah. Henry oh Rayshon. yeah Sean Henry seven catches for 206 and four touchdowns you know low-key his his stretch where he only caught touchdown passes was a lot of fun like especially yeah, because four, you know and four, I four. and I remember listen I was I was thinking he was going to come in I didn't expect him to catch 90 balls but like I expected him to be a you know a a integral part of the offense and for a long time there he just he just wasn't even on like really on the radar and I remember writing in the you know um in the three, two, one, like one of my questions a couple weeks in a row was like, Hey, what's going on with this? Right. Um, what's the deal? No, but, um, yeah, I mean, dude, Davis was the truth in the light. Um, it's, it's sad to say that like, probably never, I'm never going to get anything as right as I was about Lavelle Davis, but I'm never going to get anything as right as I was about Lavelle Davis. Um, and you guys, yeah, I, I just want to state for the record. To, if you try to do this every year where you pick a freshman and try to go all in, you're going to miss like almost every time. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to have every year will be like my list of all the dudes I thought were going to score touchdowns, which was just atrocious, right? Um, and just farcical. But no, when I just want to state for the record, when I picked Lavelle Davis, y'all thought I was nuts. 
Like we hung up that that was like you I know thought I it was the, just a reach, right? I yeah. did. I, we did the outro and stuff, and y'all were like Lavelle Davis. Wow. Like, and I'll never forget that. I was like, I mean, I don't know, man. I think he's gonna be good. And uh, that first game was like I had like an out of body experience when he started blowing up. Um, and and I gotta say too, like the people on Twitter who <laughs> it came like a storyline like tracking my um the dudes who um. Hadn't caught touchdown passes yet, but that was fun. But the Lavelle Davis thing, that was that was one of the my favorite parts of the season was just watching him, you know. I mean, listen, the kid told me when he was a recruit, like I just they just need to get guys who just go get it. And that's what he does, man. But that ninety yard touchdown he had, okay. I will never okay, forget I, that either. That was crazy. I have a few more since I have it pulled up, some of really fun receiving stats this year. All right, um, Nick Jack Nick Jackson. Yeah. Uh-huh. Two catches for thirty four yards. Yeah. <laughs> What's really Two funny punts. is I, I meant to tell you guys this the other day. So when I was pulling up the uh, – so for those who don't know, I have a cutoff for the number of snaps that you have to play in order to count, right, for this exact reason because Nick Jackson otherwise would have been the best offensive player for UVA against Tech because he had the one pla- pass. Yeah. His PFF his, stats are always absurd Yeah, his, he has two catches. Right, exactly. So so he his, his – if I'm, I'm not going to pull it up, but I'm pretty sure I'm right here. His his offensive grade was 76 and a half, which was the highest on the team or whatever. It was almost like – it wasn't quite double where he was for – but, I mean, it was considerably more than he was on defense, which I just I just thought was extremely interesting. Um but no, so a couple more things real quick though. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Brennan Armstrong had zero catches for four yards. I don't know how that works, um, but that's what it says: zero catches for four yards. And Lindell Stone caught one pass for negative three yards. That happened this year. <laughs> that was the safety, right? Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. Whole negative three so yards. If you had that in your prop bets, you hit that one. Congratulations. And also, Ira Armstead caught a pass for five yards. So there were four quarterbacks on the roster that caught passes. How about that? Oh man. Mm-mm-mm. What what a year. What a year. Also, you've hit four kicks out of bounds this year. Really? Mm-hmm. Justin Dunkel had two, and Brian Delaney had two. Yeah, I feel like they got Dunkel took over kickoff duties and yeah. had a couple the first couple of games, then it got really good. Dunkel had 43 kickoffs this year, but Brian Delaney had 14. So it seems like, yeah, they handed it over to him at some point. So, But yeah, that was the season that was the weirdest season. We And uh, I should note that the most important prop bet of all, the over for nine and a half games played hit. We got the 10. <laughs> Yeah, it was very close, but 10 of 11 got played, no bowl game. But, hey, um, you know, we got a football season, right? Like, it didn't go all necessarily the way we hoped and sometimes, but, you know, we got a football season. We got an idea of what Brendan Armstrong can do um, going into next year. We, we yeah. some definitely some potential from the wide receiver group. The offensive line looked better. Um, defense needs some work, but – I think we know what we got going into next year. So, and it's going to be a tough schedule next year, but man, I just hope it's a real season. Just give me a, a real 12 game with fan season. That's what yeah, I, I mean. Want. I mean, if you want to be like, I mean, the last thing I'll say on that is, you know, obviously you've got to be bullish on the offense going into next year. They averaged what 30, yeah. said 30.7, right? 
mm-hmm. which is a not much different with than two last games year. without a starting quarterback too. Yeah, but two and games against an Brennan, ACC heavy schedule. Yeah, who was a first year starter against a all conference schedule essentially, um, and Abilene obviously put up some numbers against. But yeah, I mean, I think you've got to be encouraged by the what the offense could be potentially next year, and how much worse could the defense be? <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. Well, I think that's a good place to put a pin in it. Um, it has been an interesting season and a wild ride, and I'm very appreciative for everybody who hung with us. If you are somebody who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you get your programs. We should be there, and if we're not, please let me know. Um, if you're somebody who found the pod, hasn't given us a look yet, check us out on the website, CavsCorner.com. Let's see, right now we got all the stuff from Bronco talking about the 2021 class. We got the the live thread. We got the grades, PFF grades from Tech to be the last one. I'll do some more stuff with that. In segue, our season in review, which Ferber started with the prop bet breakdown. Uh, the weekend wrap is there. His take two from the Tech game is there. So give all of that a look. Um, we are taking next week off for Christmas. So uh, absent um, something happening at the basketball game that I have to talk about on the way home or something, um, we're gonna we're gonna take the break and uh, enjoy the festivities. Um, but I guess uh, I guess that's a, a good place to end it. Again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Dave and Ferber for being graciously of their time all season long. As always, I very much appreciate all that they do. So for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon.